I remind you that the emphasis, I just wanted you to see that repetition last week. I hope you see what I see, that it's like, oh my goodness, Heavenly Father is screaming out in the latter days, we've got a problem. The repetition of that story seems to be saying, I'm concerned about living in the latter days where Satan's techniques are so subtle that you're not going to be able to tell the difference between friend and foe. Wheat and tear look similar, but one is poison. Which means, let me remind you, there's four possibilities, right? Sometimes we get it right. And the more we get it right, the more we learn and we grow and we learn. You're going to be smarter now, aren't you? Because I got scammed. Well, now I'm going to get it right. So sometimes we see wheat and what is it? It is wheat. I got it right. I let the right thing into my life. Sometimes I see tear and it is tear. I kept the wrong thing out. Those are the successes that we have. And every one of us should look back and say, I've done that. I've let some of the right people in and I've kept the wrong things out. The problem, though, are the other two. I see wheat. And what it really is, is a tear. I let the poison into my life. Don't you hear the, the very presence of Noah, Abinadi's story in the Book of Mormon? Isn't, isn't that Heavenly Father saying, I'm concerned that you're letting Noah's into your life and they're poisoning you? Now, when it comes to mental health, again, we're not trying to say the gospel has all the answers. There's many answers out there. But let me just say, what I hear the Book of Mormon saying is one major contributor to your struggles mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, is you let the wrong people in and they've poisoned you. And the best thing we can do is to take the tares out, to recognize the sheep's clothing, to pull it off and see the wolf underneath. The other negative is I see tear. But what is it? Now this one poisons me. This one starves me. Because I kept out something that would have blessed me. I burned Abinadi instead of following him. And now when I need him, he's not around. So those are the challenges that I want to talk about. We're going to do this one today. And then we'll do this one starting next week. I kind of can't can help but wonder if I, as we were talking, as we were reiterating tears, I wonder if there's an antidote to tear poison. It is. The antidote is eating wheat. <laughs> I think the strength of the wheat, here's what I know. Light and dark are not equal opposites. Good and evil are not equal opposites. Evil is not to evil what good is to good. They are not equal. That's because literally you turn off the light and it becomes dark. Yeah. And how much light does it? You can literally. It takes it away. What's interesting is that actually one of the more interesting things that I I do, I find it one of the more interesting things I think of is you think you go into a pitch black room, no windows, just the light of the crack from under the door if you're lucky. But you light a match in there or just some other kind of small light. How much darkness is chased out? How much can you see because of it? And I would say the antidote to the tear poison 
is the light of the wheat. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's do two of these. I think we have time tonight to do two. Allow me um, one that is more observational, illustrated in the scriptures, but not necessarily taught in the scriptures. Allow me to just point out an observation that having taught for 30 years has allowed me to see. And then the second one is very much in the scriptures, taught by Paul, and is a beautiful example of letting in a tear, thinking it's wheat. So let me introduce the first one. The first tear disguised as a wheat are the stories you tell yourself. Now, I know some of you have a physical tear that's inside and that you need to separate. I get that. I don't want to talk about the people in your life that need to be pulled out. That's a conversation between you and Heavenly Father. But one thing I guarantee we all have in common is that we tell ourselves stories that poison us. I actually have a question. Why, why is that sometimes why it's harder to see what our own strengths than it is to see our own weaknesses. Because I literally was, I guess kind of to reiterate what brought this up is that at work today, I was working, I guess, at DI on the loading docks. That's one of the only two people there that was working on the docks that for a lot of time. The only thing that was going through my mind, one of the only few things that was going through my mind is I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with everything that this, this throws at me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this all. But the thing is, though, is that my, when, literally when I got inside, I was praised by my manager saying, you did great. You did great even though you were under pressure. And I'm like... I think your strengths are here. I think one of the, one of the wheat that you don't let in as a tear is you. We don't allow, and we've talked about that, right? Why is that why? Are those stories that we tell ourselves those lies that we tell ourselves, the reason why it's so hard to see, so why it's so easy to see tears for wheat and wheat for tears when it comes to our strengths and weaknesses. Yep. So let me illustrate, ready? Let me point out the process. We see and hear. Now this is truth. Mm -hmm. These are facts. I saw and heard. The problem is we then interpret what we saw and we tell a story. The story is my conclusion. Now, this is the disguise. Ready? This is the, this is the sheep. The sheep is I told myself a story. I think it's true. This we interpret as truth. It is not truth. This is truth. This is conclusion. Now, the story creates an emotion. The emotion creates action. Now, we think I'm reacting to what I saw and heard, and that's not true. What's causing the reaction? The story is causing the reaction. So here's the power you have. You just pull weed out. You know, something that sometimes goes on. Here's the power you have. The power you have is to change the action and the emotion by changing the story. 
the story is essentially like computer programming in our mind. It gives us, it's our mind has created, it's almost like a defense mechanism, but a simple form of understanding things when we can't fully grasp. And we're filling in a whole lot of gaps, aren't we? So we're filling up a lot of gaps, connecting dots that we don't And have there's the poison. If you, if you want to change your emotion, if you want to change your actions, you change your story. Let me illustrate, okay? Here's my favorite. Um, imagine I'm driving down in my brand new, I just bought a 2024 Toyota Tacoma. That's in my dreams, actually. But I just bought my 2024 Toyota Tacoma in fire engine red. It is my dream vehicle. I'm driving down in a Harriman country road. And off in the distance, I see a 10, 11 year old boy who reaches down, picks up a rock and no. cocks his arm. No. And so I kind of slide over as much as I can on the road. And just as I pass him, he throws the rock through my windshield. Now, I saw and heard an 11, 10 year old boy throw a rock through my windshield. Tell me the story I'm going to tell myself. Every one of us would. Stupid, deviant, brat. I'm telling myself a story about that little boy. But the question that you really should ask is why did he do that? Yeah. But I'm not doing that. I'm telling myself a story about what a horrible kid he is. Now tell me the emotion that's going to flow out of that story. Anger, almost without anger, fail, anger. What will the actions be if I'm angry? I slam on my brakes. I'm going to go find that, that brat. We're going to find his parents, and they're going to pay for my windshield. Right? I'm angry, and he's going to pay for it. So I slam on the brakes, and he comes running up to me panting. Oh, mister, thank you. Didn't know how to stop you. And everyone else passes, and no one stops. My brother is in the ditch coughing up blood. And I didn't know how to stop you. Now, just like that, tell me what just happened. Well, my emotions switched. I wasn't as angry. That fast. Yeah. It's amazing how fast my emotion changed because all of a sudden, the reality is, would I have stopped for a boy doing this on the side of the road? I would not have. I would have been one more car driving down the road, and that brother is in trouble. And now what's the kid? Not a brat. Brilliant. And my emotion is now compassion. And my actions, that fast it changed. Now, does the fact that he threw a rock from, did that change? No. He still threw a rock through my windshield. But I took the fact and went from anger to compassion simply by doing what? Changing my story. More like getting the whole story. Now the reality is, was my first story true? Was it? He's a stupid brat? Deviant little brat who has no respect for property? Was my story true? So here's the reality. You're making up the story anyway. Why not choose a story that gives you the emotion you want to have? So how do we do that? How do we do? How do we make a story with all the pieces? Because I, I guarantee you, that you don't. Does, but you, you don't change the story. 
You change. You've made up the story anyway. Let me give you a great example. Um, I've only written one book. I, I won't write a gospel book because I get paid by the church and I can't take... Anyway, it's a long story. This is the only subject I've ever written a book on. Don't read my book. It was more for me to write it than for anyone to read it. In gathering people to write the book, I had a fascinating experience. I had a woman who at this point in the conversation said, you can't make up a story. I won't just make, I feel silly making up a story. I feel silly making up a story. So about a half an hour later, we were talking about something else and, and she said, well, let me give you an example. She worked at a bank. She was an assistant manager at a bank and the bank president was in town and asked all the branch managers to come in and talk about some of the problems the bank was having and potential solutions. And, the, and the, that branch president, that branch manager brought her. So here she is with all these mucky mucks of the, of the bank talking to the bank president about problems and how can we solve them. And she felt a little intimidated, didn't share what she thought was a brilliant idea. So she went home that night and decided, I'm going to email him. So she emailed, me, emailed the bank president. And he emailed back and said, that's a brilliant suggestion. Thank you. I'm going to talk to several. I'm going to talk to the vice president about implementing that. And she said to herself, he's just being nice. <laughs> he doesn't think it's a great idea. He's just being nice. He's just being nice. He's just humoring me. And then someone in the back said, you just made up that story. You have no more evidence that that story is true than the one you could have told yourself. And all of a sudden it was this lightning. It was like she was the one that said, I can't just make up a story. But what's the reality? You're, that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I know. So why not change the story? Why not change the story and gain power over the emotion? So I control the emotion instead of the emotion controlling me. I would suggest to you every time you are feeling an emotion you don't want to feel should be a signal that you've told yourself a story that's changeable. And that's where you gain control over your mental and emotional health to some degree. I'm going to change my story. I've thought a lot about this, but from a slightly different perspective. It's like we tend to dehumanize people we don't like. Mm. And so we start using, they did this, and they start even taking away their like, nouns and stuff like that and completely separating you from them and then i found when you sit down and actually talk to that person afterwards chances are they can fill in all the gaps in yeah. your understanding and then you realize that your picture was only 30 you percent know, accurate yeah and the sad thing is i've had that experience so many times you would think I could extrapolate that experience into the unknown and say, this guy that I'm now telling myself a horrible story about is just like everyone else that I learned my stories was wrong. Why can't I just learn to tell a different story? It's like, 
tend to want to make people fit our story instead of what they actually are. Or maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe if it's something inside us that likes, I don't know. But I get to choose. And one of the ways I gain power over my emotions and take it away from you, you don't get to choose my emotion. I get to choose my emotion by the story I choose to tell myself. Please. Oh, I was just thinking that for me, the way that like we do naturally tell ourselves these stories, and we're you know well on our way into the story before we even realize what yeah. we're doing. So the way that I found to get rid of that is to just like constantly tell myself to be curious, because like you said, like kind of demonize. Why? People. So if we stop and just say, I want to know more about them. I want to understand them. Mm-hmm. Or I want to understand the situation better. Or just Get curious. Why would it? Into, let me give you a great example from one of the people I met with. The, one of the women has just an awful mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law is always critical. I mean, Marie Barone, exact, you know, very critical. All Her cooking, her cleaning, everything. She's always critical. So tell me the natural story she would tell herself constantly after her mother-in-law's criticism. My mother-in-law thinks her son could have done better than me. I think that's the story she repeats over and over and over again. My mother-in-law thinks her son could have done better than me. Now tell me the emotion that's going to flow out of that story every single time. So one day she's decided, I'm going to ask myself, why? Why would she be so critical? I am not a horrible cook, and I think she knows it. Why would she be so critical? And all of a sudden, the light went on, and she realized, he loves me more than her. There's the problem. He's going home with me and not her. And there's the pain, and she's taking it out as criticism. And as soon as she saw that, as soon as she changed her story, instead of tearing herself down, what's her emotion? It's a little bit of satisfaction. And what's the action that's going to flow out of that emotion? Very, very different than what's happened every single time her mother-in-law comes over. Now, she took power. She took control over the poisonous story inside her head. And that's what I mean by wheat disguised as, or tear disguised as wheat. The poisonous story is disguised because I'm telling it. And no one wants to admit I'm telling myself a poisonous story. But it is my testimony. If you want to change your emotion, Change your story. You're making one up anyway. I hate to say this, but the, if you're telling the story that causes a negative emotion, shit, that, or I guess an irrational negative emotion, it's often you're telling yourself a lie. Yeah. yeah. I, Change your story and take power back. You don't get to choose my emotion. I choose my emotion and I'm going to change my story. What I've noticed is a lot of people will encounter this and then have a story come up that only lets them see this and barely that. 
they'll only they'll start seeing more tears where they're, they're all related aren't they yeah. they're all related okay thoughts on number one sorry you had a comment i forget telling yourself a story because I'm not perfect in this but one thing that helps me be better at it is I think and I look at others as children of God and the children of God yeah make mistakes but they're also like perfect in their own way yeah. and so when I think about when I might get cut off or someone you know harms me in an unintentional way I'm a lot more gracious because their child of God. Yeah. And, and almost like that potential, like I can also see like their potential of being a God. And so they wouldn't purposely do that to me. The gospel has answers. The what I do for me, I think of the moment Jesus is being crucified and he says, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They don't understand what they're doing. And every time I say that, it changes my story dramatically. They don't understand. I serve on a board of education. On a monthly basis, parents come and yell at us. We allow public comment and they stand at the podium and they have said horrible things about me and us. And I've learned to say, I'm so grateful that they care that much about their child's education to be here expressing an opinion. Now they don't have all the facts, but I'm grateful that they're adamant and defending their child. And as soon as I tell myself that story, guess what happens? Guess what this emotion was as they sit there and call me an idiot? Appreciation. And when I change my story, they don't have all the facts that I have. And if I didn't have the facts that I had and just had the facts that they have, what would I think? I think the same thing. Then instead of anger, it's a very different emotion. With all my soul, I testify that you have power to change your emotion. And if you will understand that your emotions can be a tear that poisons you and need to be kicked out, change your story. Okay, should we do number two? Another. What's that? Oh, I was going to ask. Oh, yes. Let me... I'll step out of the way. While he's taking a picture, everyone turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. I'm going to turn the scriptures on for this one because this one is just powerfully taught by Paul. This one was not a life lesson I observed. This one is in the scriptures. And yet it is one of the most poisonous tears I watch people I love let into their life. Romans Chapter 14, Paul calls them doubtful disputations. Okay, this is just the blank one. All right, let me keep that verse out for a second. Paul calls this tendency doubtful disputations. I don't know that that's the best title, but we'll go with it. He that, him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, let me explain a doubtful disputation. Paul's going to use food. That's a good one to illustrate with because there are not many things Heavenly Father has said we all have to do. I bet I could easily fill that board with them. The number of things we all have to do. There's not very many. 
for the most part, Heavenly Father allows us to figure out what's right for me. And I'm different in many ways than some of you. Therefore, what's right for me is not necessarily right for you. Now, those areas where he has said every one of us have to do that, there's no question. Let me give you one. In order to enter the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, everyone has to enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. I would suggest Jesus himself. Was Jesus married? I don't know if he was, but will Jesus have to be married in order to enter the highest degree of the celestial kingdom? Absolutely. That's something we all have to do. There's no exception. Another one is keep the Sabbath day holy. That is a general command. Everyone has to keep the Sabbath day holy. But how we keep the Sabbath day holy has never been specified. You have to figure out how to keep the Sabbath day holy for you. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes I take what's right for me and impose it on you. And here's the tear. You believe it. You believe that you have to do it because it's right for me. And you feel guilt if you don't. Now the reality is, it's not right for you. Just because something is right for me doesn't mean it's right for you. For example, my wife and I have 10 children. 10 children. If you don't have 10 children, you can't go to the celestial kingdom like my wife and I will. It's okay to laugh because I really don't believe that, right? In no way do I believe that, other that that's right for other people. Can I give you an example? My wife walked into the hospital, walked, dilated to nine and a half. She's a machine. She walked into the hospital, dilated to nine and a half, sat down, had the baby. After our second child, my wife sat up. I mean, the baby, the placenta hasn't still come out and the baby's out and my wife said, I could do that again. <laughs> now, is there a reason why we have 10 children? Do you think there's a reason why we have 10? Yes, but the problem is, a lot of people who hang out my, with my wife, without even my wife saying anything, feel guilty around her. Because they're assuming what? That they have done less. Because they didn't measure up to what she did. But do you see the doubtful disputation? So Paul's going to use food. Let me illustrate with food, all right? There are many people in this church who believe that caffeine is, is against the word of wisdom because coffee and tea have caffeine and those are the hot drinks that the first presidency has specifically said are against the word of wisdom. They extrapolate and say, oh, therefore anything with caffeine is against the word of wisdom. So these people say, no, no caffeinated drinks. You cannot drink caffeinated drinks. If you do, you're an unfaithful member of the church. And then there are others who say, um, hold on, there is nothing in any of our literature that says caffeinated drinks are against the word of wisdom. Now tell me, look at verse 3, tell me what these two do to each other. What do the non-Coke drinkers do to the Coke drinkers? <gasps> And they judge. 
you sinner. They judge. And what do the Coke drinkers do to the non-Coke drinkers? I hate you, holier than thou. I hate you. They despise. And, and here's the thing. Jesus is saying, I died for you and I died for you. He's saying, well, let's just go to, I love this verse. Let's just jump to this verse. I love that Paul says this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. This is worse than this. But we do this all the time. Now, again, I don't mean to offend, and I may, bear with me, but I don't mean to offend. But when anyone ever comes to a conclusion that this is right for me, it's so easy to impose that on other people Mm -hmm. and judge them if they don't believe the same thing. To be honest, we call on the mission, we had a nickname for those that was not very good. Yeah. We called them Pharisees. Pharisees. You were despising them by the very nickname you used. For example, I know wonderful people who have chosen not to eat meat. And I think that oh, more power, if, you, if that's right for you, more power to you. But quite often, those who choose not to eat meat do what? How, do you know what happened to that animal? And they take guilt and they bang it over their heads in judgment. And when they do, what do the people they're talking to? They them and they I hate you. Them. <laughs> and the cycle, cycle. continues. Mm-hmm. And it's everywhere and everything. It's how you raise your children. You talk to any married couple who's been married about a year and don't have any children, and they'll tell you what people are saying. Mm. What grandma's saying. <laughs> Or how about this one? Unmarried people get to a certain age, and what does grandma say? Why aren't you married? <laughs> and the whole idea is my generation did it this way. If it was right for my generation, then it's right for your generation. If it was right for me, it's right for you. Now, here's the problem. They don't have a right to say that. They're not saying but the problem isn't that they're saying it. The problem is what? I'm believing it. The problem is I'm letting them control my behavior. And I operate out of guilt. I live my life out of guilt. Now, I don't know anything that could be more crushing to your mental and emotional health than to live by someone else's rules. Constant judgment from other people that you're not living right. Those are doubtful disputations and they are crushing the church. Food. I love my father. Rest in peace, dad. But man, I I lived my life crushed by doubtful disputations. My dad was a health freak, which was ironic because it so changed. Every, every month it was t- different. But one time he was eating his current obsession, 
some healthy snack. And my wife was there holding our one-year-old. And my dad handed one of his snacks to my son and said in front of my wife, probably the only healthy thing he'll eat today. Now, if you're my wife, what did you just hear? From your father-in-law. I'm not good enough for my child. Now, talk about stories she's telling herself, right? Now, he should not have said that. And she should not have let it get to her. Because the reality is, if that's right for you, I applaud that you think that's right for you. But do not impose what's right for you on me. This is the courageous act to say, I have the right to live my life my way. I will counsel with my Heavenly Father. He and I will work together. But I am not going to live my life based on what you think I should do. Now, can I tell you, if you choose to take that off your shoulders, can I tell you how relieving it will be? Now, it's going to be hard when mom and dad are constantly doing this. But if you will take it off your shoulders and say, look, the kingdom of God is not the age you get married, how you raise your children, what schools you send them to, what you eat, how you keep the Sabbath day holy. The confrontation and conflict here is worse than what you're actually doing or not doing. So you shouldn't say it, but I'm not going to hear it. I'm not going to let it get to me that I'm not doing what you think is right for you. Television on Sabbath day, staying dressed up. Everyone has to do what's right. I know families who ask their children to stay dressed up. They think that's right. They think that's in keeping with the Sabbath day. My wife and I do not want our children to dread Sunday. So no, they don't stay dressed up. And there's a reason we impose that rule or not impose that rule. But again, what happens when this family comes together with this family? So... My testimony to you and my plea to you is that you have more control over your mental and emotional health than you've taken. You have more control. Some of the doctrines we've talked about, if you will believe those doctrines, it will lift stress off of you. And I testify that if you will learn to change your story, so that the emotion you feel is a lifting emotion and not a tear-down emotion. You will watch major changes come over you. Your health, your happiness, your well-being. You're making up a story anyway. Why not make up a story that changes your emotions and allows you to choose the emotion you want to choose? And I testify Only one person has the right to tell us what we all should do. And he has chosen to give very few of those. 
for the most part, he has allowed us. Remember how Joseph Smith said he governed so many people? Do you remember what he taught them? I teach them the principle and then let them figure out the right way to do it for them. And it's going to be different for this person. It's the principle that's going to govern them. The problem, though, is what happens when person A does it way A. He tells everyone else that that's the right way to do it. And they have to do it. Every, they, everyone has to do it that way. Well, guess what? Unless Heavenly Father has said, we all have to do it that way. I don't have to do it that way. I am going to take more control over my well-being by not believing that what's right for you is right for me. I love that my wife and I have 10 children. It's the right thing. But I don't believe for one second others should do what we've done. Nor would I ever judge any of my children for not having a set number of children. Just because it's right for me doesn't mean it's right for you. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not the number of children you have and when you have them and what schools you put them in and what you do on the Sabbath day and what you eat. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Take control of your well-being. Change your stories. And don't give in to doubtful disputations. Is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.